The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Last week was July 4th, and here in the United States, that's the day that President Biden declared the country open again. But here's the thing. We shut down nearly everything in less than a week in March of 2020. Reopening is a much more gradual process. How do we want to work? Where? What work do we want to do? Nothing is as clear. Here at Hello Monday, we want to figure this out together. So for the next six weeks, we're going to tackle six big questions about our work lives as we reopen. There will be homework. We'll discuss our weekly assignments on office hours and bring back highlights. Our goal is to be clear-eyed about what's coming, to be proactive about this future. This week, we start with a question that will lay the groundwork for everything else. How are you feeling? And look, there's no one answer to this. Some people are still feeling pretty crappy. Others are feeling ecstatic. But understanding all the different ways that we're coping, it's going to help us a lot. So for this question, I called Dr. Rich Warbe Austin. He's a psychologist. He coaches people. He also coaches companies. Rich said that at first during the pandemic, most of the conversations he had were about stress management. But now, now they're mostly about change management. Now we're at a stage of reopening, if you will, or returning back to some sort of normal. But some people are dipping their toes in a little bit, but some people are even more hesitant and some people are good to go. They've been waiting for this moment. So now it becomes organizations reaching out saying, well, now people are going back into the office. I need help giving them tools for what that may mean. Like now this is another change. So they're going back to the office, but it's not the same office they've left. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems to me like the last year and a half has been one massive course on navigating uncertainty and learning to live with uncertainty. And what I'm here to tell you is that I haven't learned it yet. I am I am not more comfortable living with uncertainty. And so, at least for me, I I feel kind of numb after the last year and a half. It's like we were always waiting for something, right? We were waiting for the quarantine to end. Then we were like waiting for the elections to pass. And then we were waiting for the vaccines to come and maybe waiting for offices to reopen. It's almost like I don't know how to do anything else anymore. Right. Part of what I've talked about is this notion of how do we embrace this uncertainty? What does it mean to wait? And what is it that we're actually waiting for? How do we recognize that in the waiting we're still doing and we still need to live? And how are we going to make that life quality in the way that people can feel like I'm getting back to a sense of who I am and how my life should be? The world that we knew before the pandemic is over. And how do we process that? How do we actually get to a point of saying this talk of going back to normal is not actually accurate. It's now going back to this changed world, right? And so how do we accept that? How do we mourn the loss of what we left behind? And how do we then embrace this new reality? One thing that's happening right now is that people are changing jobs. Their values around work have shifted. 
They want flexibility, more time to themselves, or maybe a deeper sense of purpose. We're all rethinking the way that we want our work to work. Around LinkedIn, we call this the great reshuffle. And Rich says that people and companies are just thinking about work differently right now. Well, it's it's interesting because I think for many companies, they do want to go back to what we left behind. So their expectation is everyone's going to go back into the office. Maybe, you know, one day a week we'll kind of stagger them back in. But we want people to go back in person in that way. And I'm seeing the, the total opposite right, for individuals. I saw, I think Bloomberg just published a a study where they said 49% of millennials and and Gen Z are saying they would quit if they were forced to actually go back in the office full time. 39% overall of workers are saying the same thing. So when we talk about this new reality, this hybrid notion of work now, I think is something that's going to stay with us right now. So I think for employers, it will be a very difficult challenge to try to get everyone back in as if we did not experience this pandemic, as if people were not super productive uh, from home, right? Because a case can't be made that it's only about productivity. I think some of it is, oh, well, collaboration works better in person. There are certainly legitimately different benefits of being in person. But if it's down the path of productivity, that that actually will not necessarily fly because the, the facts don't bear that out. Am I hearing right that what you're saying is that there is an intangible piece that actually maybe does flow into productivity that is around like the baseline of how you thrive in an office. It's it's how well you get along with others. It's how easily you can access ideas And that stuff isn't as measurable, but it's the thing that we kind of got to figure out how to continue to supply. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to this point, oftentimes the concern of remote work was that people would slack off, people would not get, you know, the work done. But what we found are that people actually work more hours. Many people work more hours when they were working from home because of that concern or fear that people will think that they're being lazy. So when I talk about that aspect of productivity, people are still delivering results. People are still able to produce quality content. So that argument of, well, you can't be productive if you work from home is out the window, right? Like the intangibles, though, that you talk about in terms of cohesion and collaboration and and being able to really get to know your colleagues in a personal way. That, I think, is a legitimate argument to talking about the benefits of being in person. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Rich tells us what to expect from companies. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back. During our chat, I mentioned to Rich that reopening kind of seems to be a free-for-all. Like, sure, hybrid work sounds great, but it's not like everyone's boss will get on board. 
So I asked Rich how he thought it should go. I will say that depending upon industry, we will see a huge variance relative to what the expectation is, right? So big banks are really pushing hard to have people in person. You know, many tech companies have more flexibility. If you are going to have to return to the office, that company should put in place an emotional reboarding process. Oftentimes, this notion of reboarding is how to welcome back, say, an employee who left. But in this case, what I'm suggesting is that we've left a particular work setting. And now when we return, there are it's different. It's not like the physical space will probably be altered just because of the realities of the pandemic. But even if it weren't altered, the way that you engage with it will be different. People are anxious about being too close to other people. People are concerned about being able to manage multiple responsibilities. So organizations, I think, who are pushing hard to get people into the office, I think then should really think about, well, how do we emotionally reboard them? Meaning, how do we prepare them for this new experience of going back to a place that they knew, but that has changed remarkably? How do we set up times to talk about that reality? How do we do coaching for people who may be having more difficulty than others, right? And so there's a whole mental health infrastructure, I think, that needs to be built if you are then demanding that people go back into the the workspace. I'm so glad that you said that because it reframed something that I've been noticing about my own personal experience. This is my fourth time coming back into the building. But when I left, like many people, I didn't know I wasn't going to be coming back. And all of my belongings are still packed on the floor I used to work on and moved into a room where I can request access to them, but I can't touch them. And I'm in a different place in a building that was familiar, but feels different. And it's making me really sad. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know what to do with that sadness. I don't think I knew I was sad until we talked about it. Right. But I think that, you know, two things that have been happening that almost happen in this silent way are that people's anxiety has ratcheted up and people's levels of depression or sadness have ratcheted up. So looking at, for instance, some recent CDC, you know, metrics related to anxiety disorder, I think they looked at it from... August of 2020 to January 2021, we saw a 5% increase in anxiety and a 6% increase in depression. But even if it's not diagnosable, even if it's subclinical, I think we're all sad. Like we've gone through a collective trauma and we're still going through it. And and this is the point that oftentimes that, uh, that I make when we talk about trauma, there's typically acute trauma and then there's chronic trauma. The acute is like that one incident, right? And so if we think about you know, 9-11 when those planes hit that day, right, that that was a particular experience that we had. But a chronic trauma is an ongoing type of a trauma. If you think about living in a war zone or you think about issues related to domestic violence, that it's unpredictable because there's no understanding of when it's going to end. And we're living through both, right? Because I think at the beginning of the pandemic, there was such acute trauma because we either we were touched by it, whether we knew someone personally, or we were all affected by it because our work lives had changed, right? And now we still have this chronic underlying trauma that we're trying to still process, but 
there almost needs to be a collective, you know, national day of mourning, if you will, not only for the people that we've lost from the pandemic, but what we've all lost and what all we've experienced and, and actually are still experiencing. There's a, a great deal of loss in all of this that we underestimate. I just want to stop on this a second. This idea that we should all take the time to recognize what we've lost. You know, more than 600,000 people have died of COVID-19 in the U.S. alone. And that's just so far. A lot of us have lost people or dealt with illness. Also, in some cases, we've lost jobs, stability, certainty. And acknowledging this collectively, it's how we start to move on from it with strength. Now back to the show. What can companies do about this? It's important to be really clear about is companies can be great places to work, but they are not your families. They are not your parents. They're not even your friends. Right. So what can they do? Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, they're businesses uh, and they want to make sure that they meet their bottom line, that they please their shareholders. But the people who are making the company run are not just robots, that we want to come to an understanding of how to engage with them in ways that will be helpful to them. And it's, again, giving them a variety of tools so th- and resources so that they can really think through what's next for them. For companies, I think it's a benefit for them to set up this mental health infrastructure. So what does that look like? It looks like being able to provide screening tools, if you will, for employees who may not even realize that they are depressed or anxious, but providing some confidential online screening tools. It's being able, as I've said before, to talk about emotional reboarding coaching or change management coaching, or really at the end of the day, giving them a space so that they know that they can talk through some of this. So having some town halls related to not just what the expectations are of your role, but again, what the company, what the nation, what the city, wherever you're situated has experienced and and building in space for that. You know, you said right at the beginning of our conversation that people are just having all kinds of different reactions to this moment. So, you know, some of our listeners are going to be listening and being like, this doesn't apply to me. I, I don't feel this way. And yet it seems so important to understand this context because we work among other individuals. Right. And so I'm curious what advice you have to people who need to go back and manage colleagues, regardless of their own emotional state. How do you as an individual make the right kind of space to emotionally onboard them? I love that phrase. So it's, thank you. So it's really about empathy, right? At the end of the day, you may not have had the same experience, but being able to understand and put yourself in someone else's shoes, be able to listen, be able to be respectful for where someone is. So when I talk about this notion of mourning uh, and grief, there are, you know, generally speaking, we talk about this five stages of grief model and they all can happen at once. They can all can happen at, at different stages. So those five stages, when we talk about them, Really, the first one is denial, right? Like everything's fine, like nothing's going on. It's, it's all good. We're back. Let's let's go, right? And then there's anger. It's like, well, why am I here? I, I don't really want to be here. Why am I being forced to, to be here? And there's bargaining. Well, well, maybe I can kind of figure out a way for me not to be here or maybe if something can change. 
Then there's depression, you know, feeling sad, as we talked about, of this reality. And then there's acceptance, right? Like, this is the reality that I'm facing. How do I then make the most of it? And, and as I said, people can cycle through them at any given time. And it's being able to provide space for individuals who are going through any and all of those stages, individuals who are not feeling the same thing that you're feeling, and it being all right to give them that emotional weight. So the one thing that I think this pandemic, out of many things it's allowed, is more talk and acceptance of mental health care and more talk of burnout and what that means and how to support individuals who are experiencing it. There's this word that came up in the sort of late spring. Adam Grant coined it languishing, which is when you're just kind of all right. Like, you know, things aren't as cutely bad as they were. You feel like you should feel better than you do. And I think a lot of people are kind of still stuck there. For a good deal of the pandemic, we could not resume our regular routines. We could not go on the vacations that we love to go on. We could not go to the gyms that we love to go to. We could not go to the yoga classes that we really enjoyed. So we then tried to either replace them, which may not have been on par with what we lost, or we decided that we just did not have the capacity to really move forward uh, to do the things we needed to do. So I will give the example that I'm an avid runner. Uh, I love to run and, and I live in New York City and I, I run by, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Williamsburg Bridge. And that was one of the ways that I reduced stress. In the pandemic, you know, initially that wasn't something that was possible. So I had to really think about, well, what would I do next? So I had the good fortune to, to buy, you know, a treadmill uh, and it was a game changer for me. Right. It was a game. To, like I literally went from, OK, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't really run in my apartment. There's not enough room for me to get a good workout. What can I do? Uh, and getting that, you know, that simple act of getting that treadmill built up a particular routine and got me back to my structured running routine. So this notion of languaging, I think, is real because when our routines are so disrupted on so many different levels, socially, physically, emotionally, it just throws us all off. And so we may not even know where to actually begin to accept or make changes. And I think now that we're at this stage where things seem to be reopening, I think people can plan a little bit more. There's one more thing I want to touch on, and that is just how how we weather change. Like, What can you tell us about what change does to us and, and what we can do gracefully to navigate it? Sure. So when we think about change, you know, for many of us, it can be anxiety provoking. For many of us, it can be fear inducing. No matter how flexible you are, no matter how open you are to it, you will still have an emotional response to change. And so it's being mindful of that and, and looking for some of the signs of that, right? Like, are you more irritable? Are you feeling more anxious? Are you feeling uh, more short-tempered related to how you engage with people? What is happening? What does the change mean for you? Because with change, oftentimes, again, we go back to this topic of loss. Like, what are we losing? And at the same time, what are we gaining? So if we feel like we're losing more than gaining, then the change will be very difficult for us to accept. And so some of it is really being able to be honest in the reframe of, of what you can control, 
right? So to this point of many people believing that there's going to be this great resignation uh, where people will feel like we're all going to quit, uh, it's being able to recognize, well, what will you gain from that? What will you lose? Many people were in job lock because they were you know, concerned about job stability and, and other uh, realities. Now that there's more out there for them, I think it's being able to recognize that our response to change can be different, but it's understanding that cost benefit, that loss gain, uh, being mindful of it and being mindful of the signs of how we process it. That was Rich Orbe Austin. You can learn more about his work at dynamictransitionsllp.com. And I keep coming back to Rich's suggestion that we need a national day of mourning to mark all that we've lost. I think there's a freedom in that, an opportunity for us to then begin to move on together. Now, it's not like I have the power to declare it, but we at Hello Monday, we are our own community. And so this Wednesday, we're going to open office hours with a moment of silence. Come hold the space with us. Join us Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. You can find us by following LinkedIn News or emailing hellomonday at linkedin.com for the link. And if you're not at a computer at that time, well, that's okay too. Just stop wherever you are and observe this moment of silence, knowing that everywhere around the world, Hello Monday listeners are with you. And now it's homework time. This week, I want you to set aside 15 minutes and open a notebook for a free write. I want you to answer two questions. The first, what are the different ways that you felt this year? And that leads us to the second, which is how do you feel right now? Now just start writing, don't worry about the pros. And if you're done before the 15 minutes are up, keep the pencil on the page. Reach for more. Keep going until you hit the 15 minutes. Now, Sarah, Michaela, and I are gonna do this too. And we want you to bring your reflections to office hours. We'll see you there. And join us next week as we explore our second big question in our six-week series. I think this one will be fun. The question is, where's my office exactly? If this episode resonated with you, please share it with a friend. And as always, your ratings and reviews help us reach more listeners. So keep them coming. And thank you. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Taisha Henry. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Uriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer, Samantha Roberson, Carrington York, and Victoria Taylor help us do this purposeful work. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We're back next Monday. Thanks for listening. You sort of set yourself up for this. Are you running outside again? I am. Did you, did <laughs> you am. sell the treadmill on Craigslist or is like the future well, of your life a, a hybrid model? Right. Well, well, here's the thing, right? And I think that sometimes we're, we're kind of forced to adjust. The, the treadmill got me through the winter months, which I was very thankful for. And then one day I, I was running on it and then it just stopped. Uh, and <laughs> I am not a treadmill repairman. I still need to figure out when I can get someone in here.